I want you guys to stand up. Typically, we sit to receive the Word of God, but I want you to stand because you're about to receive a gift. This is the Word of God. And again, typically at the end, after I read, we say, thanks be to God. But let's say that before we hear the Word of God. So say it with me. This is, sorry, I'm going to say this is the Word of God, and you say, thanks be to God. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to speak to you from Ephesians chapter 4, and it's the first part of the chapter. As I sat with this text last night, I had this sense of, of Paul, he's in prison. I don't think there's many of us here who know what that would have been like to be in a, a dark, probably fairly cold place and maybe hungry. But I also had this sense that he was, he was almost like he was communing with God in such a way that he was, it didn't matter about his surroundings. He had a message that he wanted to send to this church in Ephesus. There's this urgency about the message. And so he, I don't know, like, is he, is he sitting there trying to somehow write this, or is he saying it to someone else? I don't know, but there's this urgency. And so there he is in his own little place, and he says, I urge you. I urge you to walk. No, I want you to run the race that God has called you to, the journey that he has called you on. I want you to always look for ways to love each other, to forgive each other. But remember, always do this with humility and in discipline. We're so accustomed to these fits and starts. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. He says, go slow, go steady, love each other. You see, we're all part of one body. We all belong to one spirit, to one baptism, one faith, one hope, one God and Father of all, who is in all and through all. He says, yeah, we're a part of this oneness. He says, but every single one of you is different. And I've given each of you different gifts to bring expression to this oneness. And then he refers to some text that he would have known about. And he talks about how Jesus went and ascended on high and he gathered the gifts and then he distributed them all. And so that if God went high, then he also came low and he came to earth and he gave these gifts. And he gave the gifts of being an apostle, to some to be a prophet, to some to be an evangelist, others to be teachers or pastors. And he did this for the sake of his kingdom coming to its fullness so that all of us together would work towards bringing his kingdom to the earth in its fullness. And then there's this hope near the end. I only thought I was supposed to go to 14, but I thought it should have gone to 16. But I'm going to read it now because I didn't sit with that one as much. But it talks about that we no longer need to be immature. He's calling us. He's, he's saying... You have the potential now to grow up. 
We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. For those of us who are part of this congregation, we need to, in some sense, remember uh, back to October and November a bit, before the Advent season, and I know it's a little hard because some of us are dealing with sugar coma still, so thinking beyond the last week or two is a little difficult. But back in October and November, we walked through the first three chapters of Ephesians. We spent time there in order to hear this great plan of God's to, to bring salvation to the whole earth, to bring unity among all of God's people. And in doing so, as God united his people together to make the good news of Jesus Christ known. And Paul ends chapter 3 with this beautiful prayer of, of God's blessing upon the people that, that they themselves might experience the breadth and depth, the height, the length of God's love in ways that go beyond what we can ask or we can imagine. That God would be so present with us that his spirit would dwell among us. That we might be known as, as a people among whom God is visibly and tangibly present. And then we went into Advent. But we're picking that back up. And in some sense this morning, we're, we're going back to that last part of chapter 3, and I'll, I'll read it just a moment. And we're saying in response to it, so now, now, how are we going to live? How do we live in response to this good news of God's salvation and the unity of God's people and the desire of God to be present and known through his people? Hear these words at the end of chapter 3. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray out of his glorious riches that he might strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And it's right there that Paul starts to explain this is how that glory will be present among us. This is how we are to live. 
three things in this passage. The first is, is the unity of God's people, and we'll spend some time with that. The second is the fullness of Christ, the fullness of Christ. And the third is each one doing their part. Fullness of, or the unity of God's people, the fullness of Christ, and each one doing their part. If you could put the slides up, Carrie. First one, the unity of God's people. This one is really a theme that, that is throughout all of Scripture. It, it comes up all over the place. A, a couple key passages, however. Psalm 133. It's one of the Psalms of Ascent as the people are going up to Jerusalem to worship. And there's this beautiful imagery of it that when the people of God come together, and you have to remember that the Psalms of Ascent were sung at the great feast. So three times a year, the people of Israel were supposed to come to Jerusalem to gather for worship. And these great feasts, and they would come from all their different tribes, from every part of the land. They would come with different accents and different family histories. And yet here it says in Psalm 133, the unity of God's people. When brothers come together, it's like oil being poured out on Aaron's head and and running down his beard. And and that oil is is an oil of anointing that God gave his priest, his high priest, that that it was a sign of God's faithfulness and presence with his people, that God was actually providing for his people and committing to continue communicating with them. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to make myself known to you. The unity of God's people is wrapped up in Psalm 133 in a promise of God that he would make himself known to the people. That he would provide a way through the priest for sacrifices to happen, for reconciliation to happen. They would be reunited with God and with each other. So the unity of God's people has this deep worship-oriented feel to it in Scripture. It comes up in another passage as well. This one, from the end of Jesus' time on earth, John chapter 17. It's often known as the high priestly prayer. And throughout that prayer, Jesus continues to pray for the unity of the people. He could have prayed for lots of things. He could have prayed that you take all my disciples out of the world, save them from the trials that are coming. Jesus doesn't pray that. He could have prayed, make sure that, that they all have the correct doctrine didn't pray that. Prayed that they might be united together, even as the Son and the Father are one. The unity of God's people might be experienced, just as Jesus experiences unity with the Father. This is his prayer as he's getting ready to go to the cross, as he's getting ready to take all our sins upon himself. His prayer is that we might be united. Then you get to Ephesians, and Ephesians has unity in several places, but probably most prominently at the start of this passage. I'm going to read it once, and then we're going to work off this text together. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, Carmen was getting after that urgency, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. 
Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And in a moment, I'm going to have us read this text together. And I'm going to ask you to do, do some of the reading with me. There's going to be a, a couple highlighted words in there. And instead of the you, to recognize that it is a plural you here, I'm going to ask you to say all y'alls. Because it refers to all y'alls together. All right, Forgive my time in the southern U.S. a little bit. But, but it's a way of saying it's the whole group of us together. And that's part of this passage. You'll also see, as, it go, as we look at the text again, several words that are bolded all the way through it. And, and I bolded those words to emphasize how many different times Paul is referring to unity in one way or another. All right? So the purple words, all y'alls, that's your words. All right? As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge to live a life worthy of the calling have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as we're called to one hope. When we're called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Think Paul might be trying to get something through to us? This is why the unity of the body is so important. It is the first response to the good news of Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ being made known is that we are wrapped together as God's people. One of the earliest signs in Scripture that God was, was somehow being ignored was the people turning against each other. Think of Cain and Abel. They come to worship, right? And what ends up happening? One of them turns on the other. Cain commits the first worship war act and kills his brother. Instead of unity, there's violence. There's enmity, there's hatred, there's, there's jealousy, all poured together. But, but what Paul's saying is when we hear the good news of Jesus Christ, when we encounter this gospel, our first response is to come together, to lay down our divisions, to say we're not going to be divided anymore. Not because of our own efforts, not because we can somehow get past our differences but because in Jesus Christ we are receiving forgiveness of sins from God. And that grace, that love of God is so much broader, so much longer, so much higher, so much deeper than anything we've ever encountered before. We can't help but let go of our hatred and our anger for, uh, toward others. We are called to be one body, united in Jesus Christ, united in the Spirit of Christ. So how do we live in response to God's great plan of grace? The first one is that we work and we receive 
this gift of unity. We fight to be united. We spend ourselves to be united with each other. We let no barriers stand in our way. It's a long tradition in the church of when we know communion is coming, that we take time to reconcile with one another, that we go to people in the congregation that we have a difference with or, or some disagreement with, and we go to them and we would say something like, Jerry, I'm sorry I sinned against you. I was talking behind your back. Please forgive me. I mean, it's that type of thing that we, we are bold enough to go and seek reconciliation with someone that we've harmed. And they might not even know we did that. But we do. The body of Christ, the unity of God's people is so important. It is how the world will begin to see and know that we are Jesus Christ's disciples. It is how the world will begin to go Maybe this story about Jesus is true. Look at how they love one another. Look at how they forgive one another. We've never seen anything else like it. Our first response to the good news of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ is our unity. And the second part comes as we continue on. It's the fullness of Christ. And this passage is, it moves very, in a very structured way towards that. The, the first part says that, if you want to put it up, Christ gives gifts to the church. Christ gives gifts to the church. And, and those gifts, he names a whole bunch of them, but basically it's, it's leadership within the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors. It's not an exhaustive list. Some people try to take it that way. It's not meant to be an exhaustive list, but an example. Look at these gifts that God has given, these people that God has, has blessed with his spirit in such a way that they're, they're given as a gift to the church. Sometimes we take that and, and we, we put those people up on pedestals. One of the striking things to me in the, the Reformed tradition, one of the early parts of the Reformed tradition was to, to counter the, the kind of uh, high and mighty view of the clergy. And yet one of the things we've often done is, is raised it up in the Dutch community. We call them domine. And there was a high, high respect. But it wasn't just a respect. It was almost a, a deference to the domine. Lots of power, lots of of authority and influence in the community. But it wasn't supposed to be that type of division between the leadership and the people. There wasn't supposed to be that type of distinction. The leadership here is given as a gift to the church in order to, as the next part says, the purpose of the church leaders is to equip the church for acts of service. Let me read this in context a moment. This is at verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Those acts of service, the, the word under service is diakonia. I have one of our deacons right here. Dan's one of our deacons. That is, that is where we get that word deacon from. That act of service is diakonia. 
It's the group of people that, that we call in the church, in some sense, to lead us in the act of service. Not to say, Dan, it's all your job and the deacon's job. Go do the acts of service for us. It's that the job of the leadership in the church is to equip the congregation, to equip all of God's people to be able to do these acts of service. If you're listening to this carefully, what it becomes is that we are all responsible for mission. Every one of us. It's not just that we support a few missionaries overseas somewhere. It's that our very lives, everything about the way we live is to be bent towards these acts of service. This way of life is a way of serving. Diakonia, literally setting tables for others, demonstrating hospitality. Paul already alluded to this earlier in chapter 2. You remember the, the great passage of, uh, of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? For it is by grace we have been saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. It is the gift of God. And then verse 10 adds to that or continues that thought. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. This lifestyle of good works, of engaging with others, of serving others, of extending God's hospitality to others, is the posture and responsibility of all of us, all y'alls, all y'alls together. Our unity is enhanced through the gifts that God has given of, of church leadership to equip us to do good works, so that all y'alls are doing good works. And the purpose of those acts of service, those diaconia, is to build us up. Most of the time, we talk about we need to know God first. We need to understand Scripture first. We need to be able to, to explain the doctrine before we really belong to the church. But here, Paul's doing something a little different. He's saying, in response to hearing the good news, live your way into the pattern of Christ. Live as Christ. You will be built up and understand who Christ is. You will experience the fullness of God as you engage in these acts of service together. As you live out this life of service, as a whole people united together, you will grow up into Christ. You will experience that fullness in Christ. The body of Christ will be built up as we serve. It's not saying don't teach. Paul's doing tons of teaching here. It's not saying ignore prayer and worship. The whole context in which Paul's talking about this and communicating this is one letter of, of overflowing worship. But he's saying you cannot forget the life of service. That's where we experience the fullness of Christ. If we stop at worship or we stop at good doctrine and it doesn't translate into the way we live together in serving others, we've missed the fullness of Christ saying, you know what, just pour me half a cup of Christ. I'm good with that. Let me water it down a little bit. Just half a cup. Oh, the full cup of Christ, the fullness of Christ, the full measure of Christ is experienced as we serve together. Next slide. 
So how long do we work at building up the church through these acts of service? The text actually gives us some clues. Until we are united in faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say, come together in, in, in agreement on what we believe and then serve together. It doesn't say, only serve with people who you are in full agreement with. It says, serve together until you agree with each other. Until you have, have agreed with each other in the full knowledge of who God is and, and are experiencing the full unity in the Son of God. The way we live together leads to deepen and strengthen that unity that we will experience and our knowledge of who God is, of who Jesus Christ is. Another piece to it. Until we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And one of the things I often hear when we talk about things like evangelism or mission is simply, I don't know enough. I, I don't know how to talk to other people about Jesus. I don't know. I'm not ready Someone else can do it. I'm just not ready to, to do that type of service or to, to talk about God. But this text is saying it's as we serve, we will grow into Christ. We will become mature as we engage this life of service together. It's not a prerequisite to serving. It's actually a consequence of serving. Our knowledge of God our understanding of God, our maturity in Christ enriches and deepens as we serve. Next slide. Paul turns. He's done this explaining of the body of Christ, and it kind of provokes in him a, a then what? The unity of God's people and their fullness in Jesus Christ through these acts of service, now what? How, how, do we, how do we actually start into this? It gives a few clues here in the text. One, this unity is going to guard us against deceptive teaching. This lifestyle is going to, to serve in a way to, to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. But it's even more than that. It, it comes about this way. Keep going. It comes about as the church practices the truth in love. How many of you have heard the, the passage here, that verse, speak the truth in love? All right? The word speak isn't in the Greek. It's literally taking the word for truth, the noun for truth, and they made it into a verb. Truthing in love. Some of the newest translations that are coming out as people are trying to grapple with, what do we do with that verbal truth? <laughs> it's not actually speaking they're using the word practicing. More in line with the rest of the text. As we act in love, as we commit these acts of service in love, as we engage in a lifestyle of loving one another, as we do that truthfully, as we put the truth of Jesus Christ into action with love. So how do we, how do we live into this unity? We take the truth of Christ that we know and we act on it in love with one another. Another piece. As we grow and are built up in Christ, so we don't get to do this on our own. It's not a, a socialism program. It's not a, a, an agenda, a political agenda in our normal sense of things, of, of trying to level playing fields. It is, it is a commitment 
that we are going to grow in our unity in Christ. We never get to say, well, we started off with Christ and now we've moved on to bigger and better things. We're rooted in Christ. We never extend beyond the breadth and the depth and the height and the length of his love. We are centered in Christ. And it's as we remain together in the center of who Christ is that we will start to grow and be built up in him. What does that mean? Part of what it means is we need to practice reading scripture. Not just by ourselves, not just in the quiet of our homes, but together. We need to get into groups where we're sitting down together and saying, how is the Lord speaking to you through the word? How are you hearing God's word? How are you responding to God's word? Help me to learn how to respond to God's word. And we start dialoguing together. How do we live in response to the good news? Some of us may do this through small groups. Some of us may hear that word small groups and want to run the other way. That's all right. Find a set of friends to talk with. Just don't call yourself a small group. But get into a group of people, other Christians, where you can say, how do we live this out together? We need each other. That's part of what this passage is saying is we can't live this Christian life on our own. We're united as one people. Don't live as individuals within the one people trying to make the Christian life work for you. Turn to each other. Say, I'm struggling with this. I need help overcoming this. I haven't quite understood this. How do we do this? Begin to depend on each other. Share stories with each other. Learn to live life together inside the good news of Jesus Christ. The last part. Last piece. Is it on there? Does it come up? Oh, must be missing somewhere. The last piece as is that last phrase from the passage, as each one does its part. As each one does its part. We need every one of us to be working this good news. It came up. Thank you. <laughs> we need every one of us in order for the church to function, to be the people of God that we were called to be. We have one calling together, and that is to make Jesus Christ known. We have a unity together, a whole community of people that God has seen fit to bring together on the corner of Charlton and Hess at this day, in this time. And each one of us is needed. There's no one from the youngest of us to the oldest of us who we can ignore and say, you're not needed. Every one of us is needed in order to make this story happen. To make this good news of Jesus Christ accessible to the world. To make sure that the world begins to see and hear that in Jesus Christ, our sins really are forgiven. God really is making all things new. There really is new hope and new life. It's only going to happen when every one of us is participating in this together. So as we start this new year, maybe the new year resolution for each one of us and for all of us together could be something along the lines of, Lord, how would you have me participate in your body? How would you have me use whatever you've given me to, to build up your body? How would you have me 
move in ways that are, are acts of service to others in the community. Maybe it's simply writing a, a note. Maybe it's giving a phone call to someone that you heard prayed for in the prayer. Maybe it's calling up somebody you haven't seen in church in a while and simply saying, hey, I know I'm not an elder or a deacon right now, but I haven't seen you in a bit. I'm just wondering how you're doing. Maybe it starts there. Those simple acts of serving one another, of extending hospitality, of saying, I see you, I know you, I know Christ died for you and loves you and wants you to be here. And I want you to be here too. Maybe, maybe in 2016 we can just start there. To pay attention to one another and say, yes, you too belong to the body of Christ. Because just as Jesus loves me, Jesus loves you. Let's pray. What an incredible word, Lord. So rich and deep and full. It is, it is a good meal. Thank you for the gift of unity. How you wrap us together. How you have seen fit to make us one in Christ. Help us to see that unity, to love that unity, to pursue that unity at all costs. Help us to live in such a way that we recognize the gifts you have given, not only to people in leadership, but to all of us. Help us to, to experience that fullness, that fullness of who you are as we serve one another, as we live this life of service. And help us, Lord. Help us to look for ways to bring everybody into that story so that each one of us is contributing and sharing and giving in such a way that the whole body of Christ is built up. We long to experience your fullness. Holy Spirit, may it be so this year because of you. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.